Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. Well, good afternoon. And those watching from California, good morning. And uh, from around the world, I actually feel so honored to be on this pulpit this morning. I can just say what an honor, what a joy, what a privilege it is. And you guys are great hosts. Pastor Caleb, Pastor Christine, you guys are amazing hosts. I've enjoyed being with you. And you stole our heart, my heart. I tell my wife about it, my kids. And they love, they love the river already. They talk about it already. Um, what can I say? It's, it's been a great weekend. And you guys are going to go places. I was praying for you, Caleb. And I, I feel strongly that doesn't he look like a warrior? Like, are you Vikings? I live the Viking land, so. And, and, and there is that Caleb, spirit of Caleb, a different spirit. Uh, Caleb was a man of a different spirit. And I just sense that warrior spirit that at even 84, he was stronger than all the way like he was in his 40s. And you're almost 40, you're going to be getting younger and younger. And it's so beautiful when you have that warrior spirit in this moment because Sean has been saying this over and over, we cannot be soft. We can't be soft. This is a time of not being soft. We have to be strong. We have to be strong like the apostles were strong. Martin Luther was strong. You know, all our fathers, our generals who are strong. And we cannot be soft. This is that time. Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, all the mothers. I love you. And you are so special. I was raised by a single mom. And so all the single mom in the room, please just bear, 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 bear with me right now. All the other moms, I'm going to recognize you. And applaud you, especially for being a mom and a dad at the same time. I remember my mom was my mom and my dad at the same time. And she was strong. She's a strong 78-year-old. And her mom, who is my grandma, she is 104 years old. And I'm just praying for her to stay there and hang around uh, for another a few years. Because in a couple of months, we'll be going to see her for the first time with the whole clan. And we, we want the blessing. Last year, we were supposed to go. COVID stopped everything. And we said, God, keep her alive. And I'm hearing she is getting stronger. And so I, I'm going to bring the fourth generation to her. And we're going to have that generational blessing. Yeah, it's, it's been amazing. She carries stories from all the way to 1835. Because she told me what her grandparents told her. And, and so I, I got all the scoop of everything that has happened since 1835. You know, I live in the village where the Queen of England became the queen in my village back in 1953. After King George died, 
the Queen of England was actually six minutes away from the house where I, I was born. And uh, she became the Queen of England in my village. And it, it, it is so historical that um, we live in that type of a community and we just love it. We just, we, 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 I grew up there, we love it. And that's where I'm going to build a, a nice place for the water, for the community to get some water and get fresh water. So we, we are digging 130 feet deep to get that water out. I'm saying this for a reason because I have some products out there. I have like, I think I hear I have 79 books left. And I want all the 79 books gone so that I can spend that money to go and do this project. We commissioned it last week and it's going on. Uh, until August when we go to commission it. In fact, Sean's team is coming with me to the village where I grew up, and we're gonna have a, a major evangelism there in the community and commission a water project. So uh, this book tells the story of how I forgave the man who killed my father. And uh, this is going to be such a redemption because when I go home, I'm gonna go to a church called Pentecostal Evangelical Fellowship of Africa. It's called PEFA. And it is part of like the Assemblies of God. It is right there in my village. My mom goes there. And we helped that church to get a pulpit. And it's written, I hear it's written the name of my mom or something like that in, like in honor of her or something like that. People still do that in other countries. So my mom is not a leader there, but she is one of, the people that are loved so much in this church, but there are elders and deacons in that church. And my mom is one of the prominent members of the church. I'm going somewhere with this story. Do you know, they speak in tongues, they pray in the Holy Ghost, they just love the Lord. And do you know, oh, one of the elders of that church that is spirit-filled in the village where I grew up is a son of the man who put the last blow on my father. They worship together and they love each other. Woo! And I can't wait to go and hug that guy. Oh. Nothing like that can happen without Jesus. You know, I found out that after I wrote the book. And nothing like that can happen without Jesus. And this morning, this story messes me up all the time. This morning, Pastor Caleb, you know, We talk about this big thing called church, the big C. And we don't realize how awesome the church is. And how essential it is in this hour. Right now. And mothers, please pray because you are like Hannah. You are birthing something called Samuel. I mean, somewhere it's not a person in this context, it's a movement. It is something that a people...
epitomizes is more than just a man. It is a transitional leader who transitioned from the judges to kings and was the one holding that bottle of oil to anoint King Saul and then anoint David. And you see, that transitional leadership that came through Samuel, it was birthed out of barrenness. Hannah was a barren woman and she had to pray uh, with, with her husband, Elkanah. They had to pray and believe God for a baby for a long time. I don't know how many women could be in the room contending for a birth of a baby for a long time. But also, I'm telling you something. As, as, as a bride of Christ, there's been a contending for something. I mean, the bride of Christ's church has been barren for a long time. And it's been like we are contending for something. And thank God for COVID. Because a post-COVID church is going to look different. And this church, come on. This church is a post-COVID church. It's different. Different. No, matter, no wonder your dad had to be arrested. And do something that this nation needed to, we needed to see the coming persecution is already here. But those who overcome persecution, they, they come out strong. They come out stronger like they come out with the spirit of John the Baptist. Preparing the way for the Lord. Making strides his path in the wilderness. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to talk, I'm going to just keep talking. Holy Ghost keep talking through me. But this COVID, post-COVID church is being birthed out of the, the pain, out of the compromise, out of the, the oh, can I talk about this? Out of, uh, out of, out of the seeker-sensitive Christianity that is actually phonically. Christianity. It is status quo Christianity. It's not the Bible. Jesus is not seeker-sensitive. Let me have that sink for a moment. We need to be sensitive more about Jesus than the seeker. Listen to this. Because I know I'm drifting all over the place right now. And I like it when I do that. Those are like, you know what? I'm just going to throw with that. Uh, because the, the, the pre-COVID church was more concerned about you know, I got skinny jeans. <laughs> you know, we love the skinny jeans. We do. You know, we will still stay with the skinny jeans. We'll still have the fog. We'll still have the, the lights and all that. But oh no, what? Where is the glory? Where is the glory? We need to know that they are. And I heard pastors say, we didn't build this with the Facebook. With advertisement. With marketing. We build it with the presence. We build it with the presence. I mean, there was this whole thing of two points and a poem. I mean, three points and a poem. And boom, 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 get them in. Boom, 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 get them out. And keep getting the second subject. Boom, boom, get them in, get them out. Get them in, get them out. It's 45 minutes of, of 15 minutes of worship and 30 minutes of preaching and two minutes of announcements and offerings. And you're in, you're out. No altar calls, no presence, no releasing of the move of God. But I'll tell you what, God is saying, I want a church that will be sensitive of the Holy Ghost. 
Yeah! I got tired of church before COVID. Honestly, I was tired. And then COVID came and we hit the streets and I began to see. It's raw, it's beautiful, it's incredible. But then, we are living in this very divisive time in the history of our nation. Just went through one of the most divisive elections in the history of this country. We were ready for a civil war. And Rush Rainbow, before he died, he said these words. He said, there cannot be a peaceful coexistence of two completely different theories of life. Theories of government, theories of how we manage our affairs. We can't be in this dire a conflict without something giving somewhere along the way. In fact, outside that quote, he said, there is no doubt that this nation could decide to split into two. Because it's completely impossible for these two theories of life to exist together. We may as well split it. And you know what? That's what the enemy wants. And, and he wants it to be so hard for us to get wrong until we have to split. In fact, there was a movement that came out on Facebook after the election and said, if your pastor voted for Trump, get out of those churches. Go to a church that votes like you. I had people come to our church and hear my position and they said, I cannot sit under a pastor who voted for Trump. And I'm looking at this division and I'm seeing it not only being political but also racial. In this broader culture, there's even a generational um, conflict that comes with the millennials. You know, I miss the millennials a little bit. My wife caught, it, caught the end part of it. You know, your pastor, you caught the last wave of the millennials. But there is a culture in the millennials, especially in Gen Z, where there is this bombardment with the cancel culture. Everything they don't agree with you, you get canceled. I mean, cutting the, cutting the hat is canceled. I mean, ev everything canceled. And this climate of retaliation doesn't produce, doesn't give us a recipe for reconciliation. And I believe this is a message for the church that we, the church, have the ministry of reconciliation. We actually do have this ministry given to us. It's not given to the government. It's not given to uh, the Black Lives Matter. It's not given to a non-profit organization that tend to say we are for bringing people together. This is the ministry of the church. And only a united church can heal a divided nation. We are the people entrusted by God. So this is a very divisive moment, but this is the hour for the church. 
And we talk about the post-COVID church. We're talking of church that is raw. When we went on the streets, we found this church. And I was like, am I alone in all this? Uh, would you roll that video? Because there is something I want you to see that was birthed out of our unity with Sean. Go ahead. Hey everybody, I am here on 38th in Chicago with my brother. We just had one of the most powerful times of worship and ministry and revival I've ever had in America. You see, the streets of 38 and Chicago is where the riot started and the Lord is turning this riot into a revival. Right before our eyes, we're seeing people getting healed, getting saved. We had a deaf ear open. Someone who was there for 15 years came here. Their ear opened up. We have people getting baptized. We have baptisms tonight. Tons of baptisms. <laughs> baptisms happening there. People calling out under the power of God and getting healed and delivered right here on the streets. This is what God has been speaking. That I want to visit the streets of America and I'm going to bring my joy. What is happening in the doors inside the four walls? I wanted to go out into the streets. This is a river. We can't contain it in the four walls. We have to let it go out Come into on. the streets and sweep these streets, sweep out the injustices, and cleanse every demonic stronghold that has been holding out on our streets. This is our corner right here, and it looks like a platform that is literally capturing the attention of the whole world. What a time, what a season. Come on. What a joy to have you here. Oh, what a blessing. The Valley of Accor has become a door of hope. I'm so sorry that we couldn't announce this publicly tonight because we had a little bit of resistance, but tomorrow they're going to be back here at 3 p.m. They're going to be back here from 3 to 5 p.m. And Minneapolis, you need to show up. People from across the region, come here and worship. The presence of God is so strong. It's so strong. Go to Unity Revival Minneapolis. It's on the Facebook page, and you can get all the information you need. Change the narrative. <laughs> We, we took this message of unity and racial reconciliation to the corner of that year in Chicago, in Minneapolis. And that was right after the death of George Floyd. And what we ended up realizing is our message of reconciliation resonated immediately and we saw like instant results of racial reconciliation and people the media did not cover this. The media covered most of the division, but people began to come to Christ. And when they came to Christ, there was something that broke in Christ. And immediately we saw them hugging across racial boundaries and crying over each other's shoulder. This revival lasted from May 31 to August 8, 2020. We were there every day worshiping preaching, getting people baptized, and seeing racial reconciliation. It was through that moment that I began to learn the difference between racial reconciliation and biblical reconciliation. And mothers, I'm telling you this on Mother's Day so you pray. Because we're going to birth something here together in this country that was aborted after the Azusa revival broke out and then it fizzled and went away because of racial division, it aborted the move of God. 
that was intended to be very transformative for a nation and yet it's still the most powerful impact America has ever had. How much more greater will it be when it is rebirthed and when it is released through this racial reconciliation and through the unity of all the ethnicities and coming together and then releasing it, it's going to take America to the next 250 years or until Jesus comes back. Racial reconciliation, according to Ruigo, is the reason why America, uh, the, the Azusa Street Revival, that's why it ended. It ended because John Small was, William Small was the, the leader of the movement. He was a black man. And then we had other people that I'm not going to mention, history records, all of them. And, and they didn't get along. And that's where we saw the split of the church of God, the church of God in Christ, and the assemblies of God. And then they began following different paths. And each path was the church of God in Christ was black, the assemblies of God was white, and the church of God was white. And so what we see is this division that came through, through racial division. And yet, for the last 100 years, the Azusa Street Revival has birthed even what we're still carrying today. They brought to the mainstream the speaking in tongues, the healing, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. Before that time, during the Civil War, they were hanging Pentecostal preachers who spoke in tongues. They were being hanged. And so we have now this respect on the move of God today because of what happened through the Azusa Street Revival. How much more will it happen when we capture that wave? Because William Seymour, before he died in 1922, he gave a prophecy, he said, there's coming and I prophesy, and God says a move of God in a hundred years from now that will be bigger than the Azusa Revival. Come on, we are right in that moment when it is about to break loose. Come on, people. And so, this is not just a message of let's handle and come together. This is a message of a third great awakening that's going to be birthed out of this. And it's not going to look like anything you've seen. It's going to look like heaven. Here is what it says, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 20. By the way, all the mothers, I'm going to make sure we beat the Baptist to the buffet. <laughs> so you are all right. You're in good hands. They already did. <laughs> well, they are taking all the, all the frog legs, so don't worry. They are draining the swamp. And when you go, you find the right foods. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And write that because it actually means being in Christ makes you a brand new creation. And the, the, the meaning there is prototype. 
prototype. Someone who has never existed before. In Christ, you become brand new. And he says, old things. Everybody shout old things. Can you imagine how many old things are included there? It includes systemic issues. 400 years of slavery history is included there. When I began to dig this thing, it, it, it hit me back real hard. It includes all hang-ups of your past to a point where this new creation pretty much means you are ex-nothing. You are not ex-anything. You are not an ex-drug dealer. You are not an ex-prostitute. You are not an ex-addict. You are not an ex-alcoholic. You are not an ex-abuser. I mean, you are ex-nothing. Because you've been made so brand new that you don't carry hang-ups of who you used to be. And so I began to find this as a beginning point for identity. The formation of this identity that allows us to enter into reconciliation. Talk about we're going to have to break the whole system down and build a new one. This is exactly what that is. In Christ, the whole old system is torn down and a new system is built up. You see, I'm a student of history. I have a couple of degrees and stuff like that. And so, I love history so much. But one of the things I've found out is there's a lot of things we can read in history that would make you so mad unless you are reading your right history rewritten through Christ. The history rewritten through Christ. In fact, I'm taking this message to South Africa. A man from South Africa had me talk about it. He said, Charles, you have to come with me to South Africa. And when we started to talk about racial reconciliation, the Lord said, you need to take this to South Africa. And, and, and there is a need for this message to go to every area of strife. And to this moment of strife, we need to be speaking identity in Christ more than racial reconciliation. Because the more we know who we are, the more we rise up to this identity in Christ and the less we feel like ethnic identity has any value. I mean, can I say this? I'm going to say it because I said it in the first service. The white privilege doesn't come close to the privilege of being a new creation in Christ. And when you find your true identity, you find your shout of privilege 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 and so we find this new creation all things are passed away behold all things have become new we could stop there and go home and this will be it that we have become such a new creation in Christ that no matter who you are you have achieved the highest level of privilege 
that any human being can have. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing trespass to them, and has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to who? Be reconciled to who? God. To God. I want you to preach with me because I know, I know you don't need coffee right now, but I want you to stay with me. I'm, in the, I'm not in the deep south, am I? Uh, where's the organ? Uh, oh, Ron. Uh, I cannot do that. And I, I use... I use I used to try to do the deep south stuff, the horroring. You know, when I come to the deep south, I try to do that. And I found an African accent mixed with the deep south stuff. It doesn't go well. So I'm like, stick to your thick accent. And so if you're getting every other word, you're doing very good. Because I speak three languages, and it's kind of hard to think in two languages and then try to speak in the third one. You know, your dad knows what I'm talking about. Thinking in another language and talking in English, you know, it's like hard. But be reconciled to God, to God. So what we learned on the street corner of why reconciliation happened so quick was because of a two-step solution to racial reconciliation. I'm going to give it to you quickly. The two-step solution to racial reconciliation, very simple. It looks like the cross. It goes up, vertical, and then it goes horizontal. This is how it goes. First has to go up, then has to go horizontal. And it has to happen in that order. It cannot happen in a different order. And I'll show you why. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Vertical. And then you shall love your neighbor like you love yourself, horizontal. When you love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, it gets your heart in alignment with his heart. It gives you the love of God in your heart that you need to extend to your neighbor. And what that happens, when it happens that way, it identifies the root cause of prejudice. That racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It's in the heart. And it got to be removed by the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is why for us to see true reconciliation, only in the church can it happen. Only in Christ can it happen. And that's why only a united church can heal a divided nation. And only the church has the ministry of true reconciliation. Anybody else who tries reconciliation without the cross, they will never succeed. Now, I, I, I'm not saying we don't ha need political. I know, I know we need to get uh, involved politically and we need to reform things politically. I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I want to explain that. I wish I had time to explain it because that is needed for the world. But it doesn't change their hearts. You can force a white company to employ 
five, to employ two black people and two brown people. But they would do it because of the law. They are forced to do it. But in their hearts and in their homes, they are talking down on other people. They are still hating. They still have prejudice. They still have anger. They still resentful. They are still like, I don't like these people. I was listening to some two people talk about why affirmative action is so bad. He said we can find good workers, but we are told to hire them anyway. And so we got to create these positions for them and they are dummies. They don't even cut the... the, the cheese. I mean, they don't even know how to do it. And you find in the heart, they haven't received them. But they're being forced to do it. We would do that to make people do the right thing. But how many know you cannot registrate molarity? You cannot registrate sin issues. You're going to have to have people give voluntarily their hearts to the Lord. And that's why the church becomes the real deal, the place where true reconciliation can happen. Listen to what happens when we are in Christ. We become new creations. New creation in Christ. All of us being a creation that is brand new, which is not black, white, brown. It's not male. It's not female. It's not slave. It's not free. We are one in Christ. Every war of division comes down in Christ and we become one. Somebody shout and say, we are one. Come on, do it with one finger up and say, we are one. I love that. And you see what? We become one, all the wars come down. And Paul writes about these wars. He says, there's now neither Jew nor Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. We are one in Christ. Now, this is so awesome because Jew-Gentile stands for race. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile. So the racial war of partitioning is broken in Christ. Then slave and free represent economics and class. So that war of partition in Christ is broken. Then male, female represents the gender divisions. They are broken up in Christ. Now welcome to women in ministry. Welcome to learning how to work together, husbands and wife in Christ. Women and men in Christ. And so we see this new um, creation coming out of that and, and all the wars coming down. Listen to what happens. Peter takes it a few notches higher. First Peter 2.9. Listen to this. But you are, First Peter 2.9. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people of God's possession. Listen to those descriptive words of you and I. Chosen race. Everybody say race. Did you hear Peter calling us a racial group? And he did right there. He says we are a race that is chosen. He calls the church a race. Then he goes forth to say, of a royal priesthood, we are royal and we are priesthood. 
we are royal, we are kingly, and we are priestly. And then he moves on to a holy nation. The word nation there means ethnos, which means people groups. We are a people group. We are a people group. You know, I tell people in America, we are seeing a lot of same-sex attraction, people coming out of it, people getting set free. And I'm telling people, Americans, the same-sex attraction is a huge issue. The LGBTQ community is a community, and it is the unreached people group of America. And we need to know there's the Amazons, there's people in those jungles all across America, uh, uh, South America and all over other parts of the world that we say are not rich for Christ. But what about America? We have the top 1% that is unreached people group. People like Jeff Bezos and Bill, and, uh, I mean, whoever, Bill Gates and all the, all the gang there. Uh, and, and then we have the LGBT community, which is an unreached people group. And so when God looks at these communities, he sees them as people groups. But then he looks at us, the church, and he says, you are a holy nation. You are a holy people group. Let me take you to the statistics here. We have 7,000 languages in the world. We have 5,000 racial groups. We have one human race. But then, we have one church that is elevated above all those groups into its own class. It's called the God class. Made in the image and likeness of God. God class, that's who we are. When we began to know who we are, we no longer see each other according to the flesh. We honor each other as God's children and not based on our ethnicity. We look like heaven on earth. The last time I looked at the throne of God according to the, the liberation of John, the, the, the liberator, he said this, what he said. He saw the throne and he saw around the throne, the worship that was going on was every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And so what we see in heaven is a place of every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And we need to see that down here. We need to see in our churches the black, the white, the brown worshiping together around the throne. There is a greater authority that is released when we see people close different boundaries and break different walls and come into unity in Christ and worship together and honor each other and do it in the spirit and in truth. Come on, I feel this anointing. Woo! Now listen. On the day of Pentecost, I'm going somewhere with this. When it was fully come, they were all in one place, in one accord. 
for they united in the city of Jerusalem. One place. It was the feast of Pentecost. One of the high feasts that is coming up in like a week or two. On May 22 and May 21 I know them. And they were all coming from all over the world, gathered in Jerusalem. When everybody was in Jerusalem from every nation, 9 a.m. in the morning, suddenly the Spirit of God falls. Like a mighty rushing weed filled the house where they were seated. Thousands of people came running to come and see what was happening. Peter stands and proclaims what was going on and says, this is the promise that God gave her. He said, in the last days, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. Not just the Jews, but all flesh. I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. He talks of sons and daughters coming out of that movement and prophesying. He talks of old men dreaming dreams and young men seeing visions. He talks of men servants and maid servants prophesying. He talks of signs and wonders in the heavens, sun turning, the moon turning into blood before that dead, great and deadly day of the Lord, before the coming of the Lord. He said this move is going to happen. He said this is it. This is that which was prophesied. I began asking the Lord about this. America is in that moment right now. Every nation on earth is represented here in America. Every nation on earth is represented. There are some countries where no nations of the earth is represented except Nigeria. You didn't hear the joke. Because Nigerians, God has anointed them in some way. If you go to a place and you don't find a Nigerian, leave. <laughs> That's not a nice place. God has anointed them to know places to go to. And they are all over the world. In fact, in the book of Acts 13, the man called Niger was a Nigerian. They knew where to go. They were in Antioch in Acts 13. You know, they were all in one accord and then the Spirit of God came. America, every nation on, of earth is here. What would happen if a revival hits America? And the whole nation and all the nations represented. We're talking nations which have no, they don't even let people talk about Jesus. My city is filled with Somali people. We actually have a Somali congresswoman. Irma Omar is from the city where I live. The troublemakers of the congress come from there. The one who was before her 
was Keith Harrison, who is a Muslim. And we have a huge majority of Muslims. They win the seat by 10 a.m. in the morning. It's like a lost cause, and that's where we are actually planting most of our hope houses in that, in that part of the city. Because we, we, we felt the Lord say, and I heard one man of God prophesy, he said, these red and blue places, we need to know why they are red and why they are deep blue. And he said, some of these inner cities are the places, of course, where we had the most revival 100 years ago. Remember Chicago? Remember Los Angeles? Remember San Francisco, the backyard of Nancy Pelosi? Those, were, those are wells of revival 100 years ago. What about the crazy Seattle, Washington and Portland, Oregon? That's where John G. Lake was. Deep, deep wells of revival there. What happened? Genesis 26, they are buried by dirt. The next generation came and buried them by dirt. But there is a generation God will raise to redig those wells and get rid of the dirt. And how is it going to happen? It's going to be post-COVID churches which preach the Bible. They preach identity in Christ. They preach biblical worldview. Come on. Because when I go there to these blue places, like heavy blue places, there is always great black churches. <laughs> Fall out under the anointing, talking in tongues. And when it goes to the voting, in the voting booth, they vote for Uma Oma. And you ask yourself, how can you reconcile your faith with the way you vote? How can you explain that to me? And we had to have had talk with some of them. And some of them broke down in tears when we said, you stand before God and you give an account of why you did this. And so what we find is, if there is good teaching from the pulpit, an explanation of a biblical worldview, and a reconciliation of the person with their true identity in Christ, what will come out of that will be a brand new church that is not aligned to its racial identity, but it's aligned to its identity in Christ. And when Christ comes in and he changes our identity, we can even change the way we vote. Come on. I'm talking unity here in Christ. That the D and the R are not going to be our labels anymore. It will be Christ. It will be Christ. And so the Holy Ghost comes upon America. Power of God falls on America.
Somali people get into revival. Don't let me get started what we saw on that corner. There was a time, not one, not twice, not three times, many times, Somali people would come to me and my wife, they would say, thank you, we are listening to your message and keep doing what you're doing. I mean, we are preaching Jesus, we are getting people baptized and they are saying, we love what you're saying. We had times when Somali families came and put their hand up to give their life to Christ. But then we came to a time of prayer that we're going to pray in a moment here. And we had the black people face the white people and the brown people and come together and pray and repent and begin to bless each other. There was this Somali guy who was affluent man and he lived in an upscale neighborhood. And one morning he woke up and found a noose tied on his yard by his white neighbors. They had messages of hate and they wanted him out of their neighborhood. But then he came and found a white man who was paired with him. And we pray these prayers. We say, ask them to forgive you and extend forgiveness. So we would have people forgive each other on behalf of their racial groups. And extend and receive and give forgiveness. And we had that happen on that corner. And this man heard the words coming out of this white man's mouth. And being a Muslim, being a Somali, he was hit hard by the fact that there are some good white people around. And he broke down and he came to talk to us. He said, this is my story. I had a noose tied before. Uh, before I came, I had a noose tied in front of my yard. I, I felt so humiliated. I felt so hated. I felt so insecure. And I felt like there is nobody good here. And I came to this corner and I found you. He did not accept Christ, but guess what? Jesus touched him. He went away knowing that could not be possible without Jesus. I had a white man in New York. We prayed this prayer. And he said to me, I grew up in a neighborhood with black people. They did so many bad things to me. And we did so many bad things to them. I grew up hating. And I felt like when I came here, something just lifted off from me. And he said, brother, I want to hug you. I want to tell you I love you. I saw in his eyes the healing power of God. We had people come to us and say to us at the end of the prayer that when I prayed this prayer, I'm a white person. I didn't even know I had a, any kind of racial stuff in my bones. And I felt like when I prayed the prayer, I don't know what it was, but something lifted off from me. And he said, something lifted off from me. I don't know what it was, but I feel free. And what we began to experience was when hearts align with the heart of God, reconciliation is possible. And this can only be done by the church. Write these three things together. I'm going to help you out of this place in a moment. Unity brings synergy. The interaction of two forces that when they come together, 
they do much more than what one can do. This is why the Bible says, one can chase a thousand, two can put ten thousand to fright. The next one I want you to write is harmony. Harmony. When we come together, we sound together, we are harmonious. And the next word I want you to write is symphony. When we come together, it's like an orchestra. My daughter plays cello for an orchestra. She's very good with it. And you can go and you listen to the cello alone. It just sounds a little different. But when you listen it with the viola, with the violin, with the bass guitar, I mean the big bass, the standing bass, when you listen it, with those drums of the orchestra drums. You listen to it with the pipe instruments and all the weed instruments. You listen with all those horns. The combination of that with the conductor being Jesus, conducting all these different voices and instruments with that conduction coming from the Lord. There's an in-sync voice that comes out of that. There's an in-sync sound that comes of that, a sound of unity. And it is sound like heaven on earth. And that's the sound of the church. And when that sound begins to come, wash out. It's time to let the healing begin. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives.